Section 29 of Chapters on Evolution by Andrew Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 The Evidence from Development Concluded. 3 The Development of Mollusks, Amphibians, etc. Part 1. The attempt has been made in previous chapters to show that in the development of living beings there lies an enormous store and fund of evidence which goes either directly to support evolution as a rational theory of the universe or which at any rate aids us in comprehending the causes which have directly or indirectly made the world of life the wondrous thing it is the result of our inquiries has been to show that in the first beginnings of an animal's development and in its earliest phases of progress there is an amazing likeness to the early stages of every other animal's progress towards maturity but even after these early similarities have appeared there may be demonstrated in many groups a later likeness which may often be traced beneath forms of the most diverse kind the progress of the living being is unquestionably as von baer aptly put it one from the general to the special thus a sponge a sea squirt and a man may and do agree in the essential phases of their earliest development but the special features of each group of sponges sea squirts and quadrupeds are soon respectively assumed and finally there appear those more defined structures which mark the completion of development and which land us within the class order or even species to which each belongs development may thus be compared to a journey in which all the travellers or developing animals start from a common point and in which all pursue at first a common path that shortly however branches out into numerous diverging roads and routes each leading to the goal or destination of the race community of origin is proved by two animals following the same beaten track for a longer or shorter distance dissimilarity arising when their pathways diverge and the route divides thus much for what is observed in the development of animals as already illustrated in these pages what is to be inferred by the biologist from the facts of early development the reply was clearly enough given in the phrase development repeats descent or otherwise the history of an individual's development presents us with a panoramic or changing picture more or less obscured of the descent or development of its race in the absence of such a thought all development is a mystery rejecting the idea that the phases of individual development repeat the evolution of the species we may only say that the facts of natural history are either each a senseless paradox or form a mere snare to entrap our judgment even in the later developments of animals we were able to trace as we have seen striking likenesses provable only on the theory of evolution the mere reference to crustaceans and echinoderms will suffice to indicate the grounds on which the latter assertion is based whilst the history of the insect class in its developmental aspect will shortly be shown to teach the same practical and pregnant lesson it might be thought that the teachings of development had by these examples received copious enough illustration but there remain for notice one or two life histories which whilst they may trench upon fields already treated possess yet an interest of their own it is to these latter examples that we now refer by way of a closing reference to the early history of animals at large above the rank of the insects or at least in a different group of the animal world from that in which they are contained we may find plain illustration 
of that connection between apparently different classes of animals which evolution explains in rational and consistent fashion the group of the mollusca known popularly as that of the shellfish and having as its typical members the oysters mussels cockles snails whelks and cuttlefishes the latter existing at the head of the group presents us with one or two typical examples of the truths and inferences of development there are at least four well-marked classes in the mollusca and the names of these four groups may be placed before the reader by way of enabling us to retain their distinctness clearly in mind thus firstly we find the class lamellobranchiata or bivalves represented by the oysters cockles mussels clams etc then succeed the gastropoda of which the snails slugs limpets whelks chitons etc are examples the pteropoda form a small class often popularly named sea butterflies and of this group the cleo and hyalea may be selected as representatives whilst last and highest come the cephalopoda or cuttlefishes of which the familiar octopus the argonaut and nautilus are examples such is the constitution of the molluscan type of animals when we study the development of the three first mentioned classes we are struck by the similarity they present in their early history the cuttlefishes it may be mentioned differ from the other groups in development and present us with an ancient and early specialized group of beings whose early history and evolution is really a matter of geological interest and lies without the limits of the present chapter the early stages of a bivalve such as a cockle to select a familiar member of the first of the classes just noted exhibit the usual process of segmentation of the egg common to all animals sooner or later however the young bivalve develops a somewhat rounded body at the upper or head extremity of which appears an expanded disc often described as consisting of two distinct lobes or halves richly fringed with the minute vibratile processes called cilia and named the velum in the centre of this velum an elongated tuft of cilia is usually found in addition the tuft being known as the flagellum thus provided with its vibratile hairs the young bivalve swims freely through the sea and is thus said to exhibit its veliger stage then a patch of substance forms on the back of the embryo this becomes the mantle which lines the shell and in fact forms the latter structure whilst in due course the internal organs are developed and the young shellfish assumes the likeness of the adult the oyster and cockle are thus seen to pass through a veliger stage each with its ciliated lobes and its free swimming powers through the exercise of which the oyster spat may be conveyed to great distances from its birthplace as we shall presently note the likeness of this wandering embryo to the young of certain lower animals is distinctly marked the curious shipworm or the teredo which was termed by linnaeus calamitus navium and which effects an immense amount of destruction annually on the wood of our piers and harbors is in reality a bivalve mollusk its body is shortened and its breathing tubes are extended to form the worm-like body whilst its shells are rudimentary and serve as boring organs the teredo first undergoes segmentation within the egg and then appears as an active free-swimming veliger differing from the young cockle only in that there is no lash-like flagellum then its mantle and shell are formed and when five and a half days old the shells have well-nigh invested the whole body 
Next, the foot of the shipworm is developed, and the velum becomes a crown of cilia. Then, as the young animal seeks the wooden pile wherein it is destined to bore and ensconce itself, the shells come into play as excavating organs, and with the growth of the elongated body, shipworm development may be said to conclude. Thus we find that the course of bivalve development is distinctly enough marked. Only in one or two cases, such as that of the freshwater mussels, unio, is the villager stage suppressed. But this latter fact will cause no surprise to the student of development, who is well aware that the effects of varying conditions on the developing young are seen in the production of many changes in an early life history, and in rendering obscure many phases in the panorama of individual evolution. Coming next to the gasteropods, of which the limpets, whelks, snails, slugs, and the univalve shellfish at large are examples, we find a striking similarity in their early history to the development just sketched. A mussel or oyster or other bivalve has, as everyone knows, no distinct head. This may be the result of degradation. But in the snails, whelks, and their neighbors, the head is plainly enough marked. Although in certain low forms of the gasteropod class, this head development may not be at all prominent. Such lower members are illustrated by the dentalium or tooth shell, otherwise often named the elephant's tusk shell from its obvious resemblance to the latter structure. In the early history of dentalium, we find obvious resemblances to the development of the bivalves. First, segmentation or division of the egg takes place. Next, the young tooth shell, on escaping from the egg, appears as a rounded body and possesses tufts of cilia for swimming and likewise has a flagellum in front. The body then lengthens and develops seven circlets of cilia, the resemblance between the young tooth shell in this guise and an embryo worm being unmistakable. Then the shell is formed by the mantle, as before, and the cilia form a velum as the upper extremity of the body, the young condition of the bivalve being closely imitated at this stage. The shell, at first open below, unites by its lower edges to form the tooth-like structure of the perfect animal, and with the further growth of the internal organs, dentalium becomes the mature animal. There cannot exist a doubt that, as the lowest gasteropod, and as a poor relation of the higher whelks and snails, dentalium's life history shows, as might be expected, the closest approach, firstly, to animals of lower grade than mollusca, and secondly, at a more advanced stage than that of the villager, to the bivalves themselves. Equally interesting is the chronicle of development which those little limpet-like animals, the chitons, present to our view. These latter forms are found adhering to the rocks and stones at low water, like the neighboring limpets. They agree with the limpets in being gasteropods, but their structure is, if anything, lower than that of the familiar mollusks just mentioned and their shell is not univalve, but composed of no fewer than eight pieces, arranged one after the other on the animal's back. No definite head, however, is found in the chitons, this lack of front extremity being, as before, a proof of lowness and democracy in the scale of gasteropod society. The general aspect of a chiton is unquestionably more like that of an articulated or jointed animal than of a mollusk in which latter we do not expect to see segments of any kind represented. It is likewise a fact of much interest that these chitons are a remarkably ancient group of the gasteropod class. 
they may it is true be regarded by the strict rules of comparative anatomy as lower organisms than the whelks and their relations but if antiquity of origin be esteemed in the gasteropods as it is in higher circles a criterion of respectability then the chitin race may claim a superior rank to many of their neighbors and may maintain that when the univalve race was but in the infancy of its development they possessed a stable and well-founded family connection the chitons begin their fossil history in the lower silurian rocks and appear at the present time with but little variation from their past structure they are therefore unquestionably an ancient series of beings which have most probably sprung from a far back rootstock whence the gasteropods themselves and other mollusks likewise may have branched off to become the superior shelled races and tribes of today what then is the course of chitin development as we should expect it is much more primitive much nearer the type of the worms and of dentalium development than that of other univalves the researches of Loven have made us acquainted with the early history of the chitin group from the egg the infant chitin issues forth as an oval speck possessing a circle of cilia surrounding its body near the front extremity and likewise bearing a tuft of cilia on its head the likeness between the young chitin and the young cockle is clearly traceable an eye spot soon appears on each side of the ciliated circlet and the body next becomes annulated or ringed in appearance such an aspect reminding one most forcibly of the young stages of the worms even when the young chitin exists in this free swimming state the segments of the shell begin to appear and correspond with the rings into which the larval body is divided whilst subsequently the broad foot is developed and the animal settles down into a sedentary and placid existence on the rocks and stones of the coast chitin development thus tells a tale of early origin and of alliance with the worm stock in this respect it forms a worthy companion to dentalium itself the development of the familiar pond snail limnius as studied by professor ray lancaster and others may render us acquainted with normal gasteropod development in its higher and most typical phases the eggs of the pond snail are to be found in june deposited on the under surface of the leaves of water plants enclosed in capsules containing a white jelly-like matter the egg undergoes complete yolk segmentation and then the gastrula stage with its two layers repeated in all animals from sponge to man appears the mouth of this sac closes as the young form passes to enter the villager stage in which the body is oval and possesses a ciliated ridge this latter stage has also received the name of trochosphere ultimately the foot is developed then the shell appears and in due time the snail form is assumed in the pond snail as a high form of mollusk we unquestionably find a villager stage reminding us of the similar phase in other and lower univalves and in bivalves it is a noteworthy fact that the land snails and slugs do not show the velum notwithstanding their apparent nearness to the pond snail the suppression of the villager stage here does not surprise us on the contrary we are fully prepared for such lapses and omissions in development by the consideration already enforced that altered ways of life must inevitably produce a changed life history such omissions in fact exactly answer the expectation of the evolutionist 
and their absence would indeed prove a veritable stumbling block to his hypothesis in the top shells trochus familiar enough as native species it may be mentioned that the villager stage or that of the trochosphere is well represented whilst in this stage the embryo is also marvellously like the young of certain worms and also resembles that of some of the rotifera of wheel animalcules later on the velum of the trochus grows larger and becomes more prominent and as the shell develops the larva assumes the likeness of the young top shell such a life history is worth recording even in a cursory fashion if only to emphasize the fact that even in some undoubted univalves the likeness to lower worms is remarkable certain other univalves of somewhat different structure from those whose development has just been described may now be noticed these latter are the so-called naked gasteropods in which a shell is either rudimentary or wanting altogether but the curious fact remains that whether a shell is present or not these animals invariably possess that structure in their embryonic state this shell which is thus never destined to be developed is an illustration of rudimentary organs which like the teeth of the unborn whalebone whale possessing no teeth whatever in its adult state have a reference to a past state of things these teeth in the rudimentary shell are heritages derived from ancestors which had well-developed teeth and shells respectively otherwise and on any other theory of nature their mere existence is a hopeless and insoluble puzzle the shell-less univalves to which we refer are often familiarly named sea slugs sea lemons and the like by naturalists they are placed in such genera as doris aeolus aplysia etc other examples of these mollusks are included in the genus bulla or that of the bubble shells possessing a delicate shell and aplysia or that of the sea hares famed of old as an ingredient in classical poison cups bulla and the sea hares possess each a thin shell which however is a secondary growth and does not represent the true shell or that developed in early life now in these naked gasteropods there is a well-marked villager stage moreover if the development of such a form as aeolus or its neighbors of the sea lemon tribe be studied the young form is observed at one stage of its career to present a singular and highly characteristic appearance it possesses a velum consisting of two well-marked lobes richly ciliated and by means of which it swims rapidly through the sea whilst the animal's foot and its shell are also readily observable far away in the northern seas the arctic voyager may sometimes sail for days or rather for nights through water which may be discolored by the innumerable myriads of small organisms floating on its surface each of these beings is of very small size certainly under an inch in length as a maximum measurement and each paddles or flaps its way through the sea by means of a pair of wing-like fins attached to the sides of the neck such are the sea butterflies or pteropoda already mentioned as a class in the molluscan group their title to be regarded as shellfish rests on the fact that besides agreeing with other molluscan characters they may possess a delicate glassy shell but this structure may at the same time be wanting and a head may also be indistinctly represented the latter fact indicating as we have seen a position of inferiority in the molluscan scale now when a pteropod is even cursorily regarded in the possession of its wings or fins borne on the sides of its neck 
its resemblance to the young of some of the naked gasteropods such as aeolus is both close and unmistakable in their development the pteropods possess a velum like most univalves this velum is believed by good authorities to remain developed and to constitute the wings or fins of these animals by other authorities their fins are believed to represent certain side lobes of the molluscan body and as such are regarded by this second theory as secondary developments however that the pteropods represent a rudimentary or primitive set of beings no one may doubt let us bear in mind that they run through the same early phases of development as gasteropods and that not only is the velum or villager stage represented in their history but that certain members of their class present the cilia girdled appearance proper to the early phases of worm development let us also reflect that the pteropod seems to have been arrested in its development at or a little beyond the villager stage and we may readily understand the position of those naturalists who comparing the young of the naked gasteropod with the adult pteropod see the closest affinity and relationship between them the pteropod in this view represents a permanent larval or arrested gasteropod both have arisen if the story told by development is worthy of credit from a common rootstock of which the villager stage is the transient representative both have developed in parallel or it may be in corresponding and similar grooves but the gasteropod has been evolved beyond its villager stage to assume a higher place in the animal series whilst the pteropod has been arrested in its development at this stage and has assumed with possibly a little fixation of its characters a larval condition as the badge and mark of adult structure passing last of all to a lower group of mollusks that of the brachiopoda or lamp shells we may find through these latter forms a passage to the still lower and more primitive stock from which the molluscan group may be presumed to have originated the brachiopods form a scarce group of shellfish in our present seas but in past epochs of this world's history they were abundantly represented the silurian rocks to mention but one group of formations literally teem with their fossil representatives whilst the paucity of these shells in existing waters is matter of zoological notoriety these lamp shells are therefore an extremely ancient group of living beings that they are inferior in many phases of structure to the common bivalves such as our oysters and cockles is matter of fact hence the development of these lamp shells may be presumed on a priori grounds to be fraught with meaning and information as to the descent and origin of the mollusca at large let us therefore endeavor to follow out the researches of morse on the development of these singularly interesting forms studying one species terebrachulina the common lamp-shell of the american coast the first free-swimming stage is that of an elongated body which divides itself crosswise into three rings or segments the front one of which becomes provided with long actively moving cilia eye spots also appear on the front segment and the likeness of the young lamp-shell to an embryo worm is at this stage plainly apparent nor is the likeness lessened when the middle segment is found to develop four bundles of seti or bristles such as appear in the worms then succeeds the stage of fixation the young brachiopod now attaches itself by its lower segment and the middle segment increases greatly in size so as to form a kind of hood 
enclosing the front segment in part. Then the front segment decreases in size. The middle portion originates the bivalve shell, which soon comes to enclose the body, the lower or third segment being represented by the disc or stalk of attachment. The technicality of the subject prevents our following out for the reader the later stages of lampshell growth, in which striking likenesses are presented not merely to brachiopods now extinct, but likewise to the young stage of those plant-like animals named polyzoa, and of which the sea mats, flush tree of our coasts, are good examples. Hence we conclude that the brachiopods present us with a group which has sprung from a worm-like stalk along with the sea mats, thus showing us the possibility of higher mollusks having had a similar origin. End of section 29. Chapter 11. The evidence from development concluded. 3. The development of mollusks, amphibians, etc. Part 1.